Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather freely, to gather as your believers, and to gather under your holy word. Lord, as we come to it, we pray that you'd be working in us by your spirit, that you'd be pointing us to your son, Jesus, and that you'd be shaping us, molding us, growing us, challenging us, and encouraging us to live for him day by day. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, All followers of Jesus here would agree that God can save anyone, that he can work the impossible, that no one is beyond God's reach. But I think realistically, practically, all of us have this list of people that we genuinely would be surprised if they became a Christian. Maybe it's a family member, the one who hates religion, who wants nothing to do with the church. Maybe it's that co-worker who laughs at Christian beliefs and mocks Christians. Or maybe it's that celebrity out there, the sports person, the socialite, that musician or that actor or actress who we think, yeah, yeah, no, that that will never happen. But if we really do believe that God can save anyone, how would you feel if you hypothetically heard Richard Dawkins, the most famous, famous atheist, came to Jesus? Maybe if you heard Bashar al-Assad, the president of Syria, tyrant, dictator, responsible for multiple war crimes, mass deaths and human rights violations, if he somehow came to Christ. Or maybe we go on a different tangent. What if a Kendall Jenner, a Hugh Hefner, an Angelina Jolie announced that they were newborn again believers? I think for all of us, there's a sense that we'd find that hard to believe. We'd say that we'd never see that happening. But what does that mean for you, for us? Do you really believe that God can save anyone? Can he really work the impossible? And do we really believe that no one is really beyond God's reach? Well, this morning we come to the most unlikely conversions story in the Bible. We've seen uh, the last few weeks the background of persecution. And we remember about two weeks ago that Stephen was stoned to death. Uh, The one in charge in that time, Saul, he's giving the thumbs up as Stephen died for his faith in Jesus. You see, this guy Saul, he was an enemy of the early church. Acts 8 begins, if you turn a chapter back, with Saul ravaging the church. He was out to capture, to imprison, to even kill those who believe Jesus as Lord and Saviour. He's the kind of guy, Saul, that you go, can God really work salvation in him? Can he really work the impossible? Is he beyond God's reach? And this guy, Saul, or the Apostle Paul, as we later know him, he doesn't just put his trust in Jesus here. God uses him, Paul, or Saul, as a key instrument in the early church. He's reaching out to Gentiles, planting churches, training leaders. He's the human author of 13 letters that are part of our Bible. You see, Saul, he's the unlikely convert. He's far from God, he's an enemy of the gospel, and he's gone from that to being used mightily by God 
in the spread of the gospel. And as we look at this section today, I think it's quite easy to understand, so we're going to murder through it quite quickly. But as we go through this passage, we need to remember that this passage, this chapter, it's not given to us as a pattern of conversion. It's not for us to read and to dissect each step and to replicate it today. It's a snapshot of God's unstoppable mission in action. It's a unique account for us today to go, wow, God is at work. It's written to us to challenge and to encourage us to continue to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And if you have your Bibles open, we begin meeting Saul in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, here we meet Saul again, and his hatred of this Jesus group, it's real. He's totally against these early believers. He wants to wipe away this group, to hurt them and to get rid of them even to the point of getting official legal permission to seek them out, the believers in Jesus who are called the way, and to throw them in jail in Jerusalem. And it's not just, let's go to the suburb next door to McGregor and drag out these believers. Saul's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. That's like walking or going on horseback from here west to Dolby, or down to New South Wales past Ballina, with the sole purpose of persecuting followers of Jesus. We wouldn't even walk from our house to Eight Mile Plains and to McGregor to go to Garn City, but this guy goes 217 kilometers just for the sole purpose of persecuting followers of Jesus. You see, Saul, he's really the most unlikely convert And if you think about it, it's only God who can hatch and work out a plan like this. And that's what we see that we keep going in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see, this light shines from heaven. It's signifying the brightness of the glory of God appearing just like in the burning bush to Moses on the Mount Sinai, in the tabernacle and in the temple. This glory is so overwhelming that Saul, he falls to the ground and he hears the voice. It's the voice of God. But unlike in the Old Testament, here Saul hears the the voice of the one he's persecuting, the Lord Jesus in glory, Jesus, the divine Son of God. You see, Saul, he wasn't just a blood-hungry killer. He was a devout Jew. He knew his Old Testament. He knew of the story of Moses, the tabernacle, the temple, God appearing in glory. But he thought this Jesus group 
was just some random, rebellious, breakaway uprising. But here in Acts 9, Saul, he's confronted with the risen Lord Jesus. It's Jesus who appears in all his godness, his divinity and glory. And Jesus, he shows Saul that this, move, this new movement called the way, these folds of Jesus that Saul was persecuting, that they actually got it right about Jesus. They got it right about God and Israel and all of the promises of all. It all clicked for him. Saul, he meets the risen Lord Jesus in glory. Verse 6. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. We don't know if Saul, he got all of this right away, that the penny dropped immediately, or took those extra three days to find out or to work it all out. But Jesus here gives Saul some instructions. The experience leaves him blinded, probably from seeing that bright light from the glory of God. And Saul, he follows these instructions, bringing him to Damascus, not to persecute the believers like he originally attended, but obeying the words of the risen Lord Jesus he's just encountered. We're going to keep motoring through the passage and then we'll draw some application at the end. And as we come now to the second section, we're going to meet a new person, a follower of Jesus named Ananias. He's no one special. He's not one of the apostles. He's not a church leader. But note, as we continue in this passage, God, he uses faithful, ordinary followers of Jesus in his conversion and kingdom work. And God still works like this today, friends. You might not be a Paul or Peter or Timothy, but God uses faithful, ordinary followers of Jesus in reaching the lost, building his church, and furthering his mission. Have a look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he is seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Put yourself in Ananias' shoes for a moment. Jesus, he appears to him in a vision, gives him detailed directions, this street, this house, this man, and not just any man, but the guy who's trying to put your whole group in jail. All of this shows that Jesus, he is the one, he is the mastermind behind Saul's conversion. 
He's the one in control. He's making the moves. He's working behind the scenes. And even in our evangelistic efforts today, we can know that the Lord Jesus, he's the mastermind. He's the one at work in people's hearts and lives. And Jesus, he calms Ananias' fears in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Here Jesus, he reveals his plans for Saul. He's not just any old convert, but Jesus has sovereignly, divinely, specifically chosen Saul for a purpose, to bring the gospel to the next stage. If you remember back last year, Acts 1 verse 8, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's kind of the summary heading for the whole book of Acts. Well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria last week, tick, it's all been done. But to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, to kings, Saul has a special role, being God's special instrument for this to happen, while also bearing witness to his fellow Jews. You see, Saul, the persecutor, he'd become the one persecuted for the sake of Jesus and his good news. As we read on verse 17, we see Saul and Ananias finally cross paths in obedience. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. If we're not sure yet in the story how Saul responds to meeting the risen Lord Jesus, we see it here. He's welcomed into the fellowship of those believing in Jesus. Welcome, brother. He's filled with the Spirit. His blindness is healed. All of these things pointing to his conversion, his new life in Jesus, blind, but now he sees. There's a debate here in Christian circles on the side. Was Paul converted or was this just a new commission? Because Saul, remember, he already worshipped God. He was a devout Jew, but he wasn't really converted. That's the question. Well, I think it's both. It's his conversion and his commission. Because while we see Saul's future role being spelled out here, which is his commissioning, Everything here, I think, points to Saul's conversion. He encounters the risen Lord Jesus. The penny drops. He's filled with the Spirit. His blindness is healed. And Saul's baptized, all showing his new life in Jesus. Well, as we keep going, uh, put yourself in Saul's shoes for a moment. He was on the road to Damascus on the way to persecute Christians. Then in a matter of three days, he was a Christian himself. How'd you feel? 
what would you be doing if that happened to you? Well, for me, I think I'd be wanting to spend some time and space uh, letting the magnitude of that change sink in to figure out the details of what I believe or to hide away from my old friends who are now probably my enemies out to kill me. Well, as we read the last part of today's passage, Saul, he doesn't do any of that. As bold as he was in persecuting believers, he's now bold in proclaiming his newfound understanding of Jesus to all. End of verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Remember Saul, he was a Pharisee, he was a religious elite, he was a rabbi, he was learned in scripture. He knew the promises of old. He knew the Old Testament, he knew his scriptures. And now the penny had dropped in who all of that pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Saul now proclaims, Jesus, the Son of God. Amazing and confusing the crowds all at the same time. And this brings the same response that we've seen before. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You see, Christ is proclaimed. And then the Jews, they try to kill Saul, and Saul escapes. And then the same thing happens again three years later, as Saul enters Jerusalem, which is where verse 26 picks up. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. You see, we see the same pattern again. Saul, he proclaims Christ. He joins the apostles for the first time, introduced by this guy called Barnabas. And the Jews, remember, these are the same Jews who killed Stephen, the Hellenists, the born Jews but culturally Greek. They try to kill Saul too. And Saul, he escapes again. You see, Saul encounters Jesus. The penny drops. He's saved. He joins the church, the community of Christ, and immediately he proclaims the name of Jesus to others. What a change we see. 
from the beginning of the chapter as Saul sets out to persecute those who believe in Jesus. And we finish here with a summary verse. We get a few of these summary uh, kind of overarching verses in the book of Acts. The last one was in chapter 6, verse 7. And since that point, there's been persecution, Stephen's death, people coming to Jesus, and then today's passage. So now up to here, how is the early church going? What's the summary? Are people leaving the movement? Is there unrest? Is there fear of suffering? Well, this is how Luke summarizes it. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see, even as the early church was facing its first wave of persecution, the church had peace. It was being built up. It was growing in maturity. They were walking in fear. Not fear of suffering, but fear of the Lord. They were comforted, not by their physical surrounds, but by the Holy Spirit. And the church was growing. It was getting bigger. Numbers. People were hearing Christ proclaimed, and people were deciding to put their trust in Jesus. So we sped through today's passage. We've seen this unlikely convert Saul from persecutor to proclaimer, enemy of God to becoming an instrument of God, against Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. Now we're going to spend a bit of time at the end here looking at God, what God wants us to know today in light of all this. Four things I think God wants us to know today from Acts 9. And the first thing, God is sovereignly and powerfully working for the cause of the spread of the gospel. This is the main point of today's passage. It's not a pattern of conversion. It's about the good news of Jesus powerfully spreading. In today's passage, we've seen God's hand at work sovereignly, powerfully, even amidst persecution, even in an enemy of Jesus, someone who describes himself later as the worst of all sinners for the purpose of spreading the good news of life in Jesus to the ends of the earth. And you know, this same God, who's, he's the same God who's working today. He's working sovereignly, powerfully, even amidst all that's happening and all we think might be happening for the purpose of spreading the good news of life in Jesus and saving people from death to life in Christ. You see, God wants each of us to know today that he's sovereignly, he's powerfully working for the spread of the gospel today. Do you know this? Do you believe this? Are you confident in this? Does this shape all you do day by day, your evangelistic, your outreach efforts? Imagine if this shaped your thinking. 
if he had an expectation that God is working in your evangelistic efforts? How would your outlook change today? Well, for me, I think I'd be more confident in talking to people about Jesus. I'd be more confident knowing that God is working, whether my efforts go well or go badly. I'd be more bold in asking people what they thought about God. I wouldn't chicken out as much as I do. I wouldn't be worried as much about my reputation or saying the wrong thing. I wouldn't be reaching for reasons and excuses to stop, to stop sharing the gospel, whether it's COVID, persecution, busyness, or whatever else. You see, God is sovereignly and powerfully working for the purposes of the good news of Jesus spreading. Let this be the foundation. Let this give us confidence, boldness, and expectation as opportunities to point to Jesus come. Our second truth from today's passage is that God can save anyone. It's no exaggeration to say that Paul really is the unlikely convert. He's an enemy of God. He's out to harm and kill foes of Jesus. Yet in God's gracious and powerful work, Saul, he puts his trust in Jesus and gives his life to the cause of Christ. It's really a testament to us today that God really can save anyone. Those far from God, those with hearts set against God, those we would even label out of God's reach. You see, Acts 9 reminds us that God truly is gracious and that God truly is working powerfully, mysteriously, and miraculously in people's lives. And while we sometimes might not expect God to save everyone, we can trust that God is able to, that God is powerful to work salvation to Je in Jesus to anyone, whether it's that family member, that friend, that workmate, your neighbour, or someone you bump into once in a while at the shops. And this should cause us to pray with confidence for the lost without Jesus. It should cause us to witness with this expectation that God can and is working and to never give up hope that someone is outside of God's reach and God's saving work. Maybe you're listening today and you feel like you're outside of God's reach. Well, this passage shows us that God really can save anyone. He can save you, no matter how bad you think you are or no matter how outside God's reach you think you are. All you need to do is come to Jesus and accept his free gift of salvation. Third thing God wants us to know today is that the church is at the heart of God's mission. It's a small point, it's a passing point, but I think it's something that we need to hear today. The church pops up in key moments in this passage in Acts 9. Firstly, Jesus, he identifies himself as the church, with the church. Saul, he's persecuting the early church. 
But note in verse 4, Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? Secondly, when Saul is saved, he's welcomed into the fellowship, into the church community. Verse 17, he's welcomed as Saul, brother. And finally, the focus at the end. Verse 31, it's not on Saul or Ananias. The focus is on the church and its growth. You see, the church is at the heart of God's mission. That means as we think about outreach, evangelism, proclaiming Jesus, growing people in Jesus, all of that happens not apart from the church, but mission happens in the context of the church. That means you can't give up on the church. You can't go rogue from the church. Believers aren't supposed to do it alone. Too many people in today's Western world try to do Christianity apart from the church, whether it be missions, evangelism, discipleship. We do it away from the church when the church is at the heart of God's mission. And we can demonstrate this, we can show this today by sharing your efforts in evangelism to others at the church, even sharing your failures and your struggles to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can do this by praying for others in their outreach efforts, by inviting people enthusiastically to church outreach events, by making sure you talk to non-believers who come to our church services and events, by welcoming new believers into the church community. Welcome, brother, sister. And by celebrating good news stories in the life of the church. You see, the church is at the heart of God's mission. And fourth and final thing I think God wants us to know from today's passage, we witness for Jesus by proclaiming him. You see, Acts, this book, it's all about being a witness for Jesus. Remember chapter 1, verse 8, being my witnesses in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we do this witnessing thing, not just by being an example, not just by saying I'm a Christian, but by proclaiming the good news of Christ. You see, this is exactly what Saul does after his conversion. That's how the church multiplies. That's what we see happen all through the book of Acts. If you're a believer here today, that's how you believed. Someone proclaimed Christ and the good news of Jesus to you. That's why part of our mission statement here is proclaiming Christ. That's how we witness for Jesus. That's how the gospel spreads. That's how people move from death to life in Jesus. It's by Christ being proclaimed by all of God's people in the church, in your dining rooms, between the fences, over a cup of coffee, if you can sum up the church by one action, I think it's this, we are a proclaiming people. We proclaim Christ and the good news of life in Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, how and where and to whom can you proclaim Jesus to in your life today? How and where and to whom?
So as we finish off today, four things God wants us to know from Acts 9. God is sovereignly and powerfully working for the spread of the gospel. God can save anyone. The church is at the heart of God's mission. And we witness for Jesus by proclaiming him. Let's pray that we'd be challenged by God's word. Heavenly Fathers, we reflect on Saul's conversion and the powerful and gracious work of salvation you've worked in his life. We pray that you'd encourage us today, knowing that you are still sovereignly and powerfully at work today in the world and in people's lives. And Lord, challenge us to be part of this work. Help us to be witnesses for Jesus by proclaiming his good news, his great news of salvation, of eternal life, of sins forgiven in the name of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.